0: Good morning, everybody. Um, uh, today's a special day. It's my 46th wedding anniversary, and so I'm uh, I'm pretty excited. I got up this morning and my wife made a handheld card. And uh, happy anniversary, she said. Rick, 46 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, together. Amen. The Lord's blessing is beyond my ability to to deal with it well one of the things we want to do is we want to pick up on where we were talking about the resurrection and as part of that uh, I want to go into each of the locations where it's spoken of specifically Mark, tw- or let's go to Matthew 28 and in the process of looking at that I there's a number of questions and things that have come up that I wanted to kick out and, and um and kind of explore a little bit. Um, if you go to Matthew twenty eight in my scripture in my Bible it says Jesus is risen. And so we start in, in Matthew twenty eight one now after the Sabbath as it began and we go down and uh, we see Mary Magdalene and Mary uh, came up and and things weren't like they were supposed to be for her. Okay, they they, they expected the stone, they expected Jesus's body. They're gonna spice him up, and do all of the things that they're going to do to a, to a dead body. But he's not there. And so, if we look at verse 4, um, there was an angel, and the, they said there was an earthquake, and the angel answered to the women and says, uh, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. Now, the guy's dead. We know that. Okay, we've got plenty of witnesses that says he's dead. But look at verse 6. He's not here, for He has risen just as He said. Now, He's told everybody several times He's going to rise from the dead. They're not, you know, as we proceed through here, we're going to find out that doesn't click with them. But if we go down to verse 7, And go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead, and behold, He's going to go before you into Galilee. There you will see Him and behold, I have told you. And they departed, and they went, and then they, verse 16, here's where the issue really starts to get interesting to me. Verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee. One of my questions is, why did he want to go to Galilee? Why does he want everybody up in Galilee? He's down in Jerusalem, in that area in Jerusalem. Galilee's 80, 90 miles away. Why is he sending everybody to Galilee? Galilee. it's, it's a subject that when I start looking into it, nobody really has any good answers. So I, I think uh, I may come up, we may come up with some as we go through this. But now look at verse 17 or 16. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had de- designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Now, my question is what were they doubting? Now, if you look, Jesus is standing there. I can't say, uh, geez, where's John and where's Rick and where's Emily," because I can see all three of them. So, the, I, I can't doubt that they're here. So, the, Jesus is standing in front of them so they're not doubting that He's there. But what is it that they're doubting? Um, now, Jesus came up and spoke to them. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples. Now, Let's go on and let's look at uh, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Siloam, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And then if we go down and look... um, verse 6 in Mark 16 and he said to them the angel don't be amazed you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified he has risen he's not here behold here's the place where they laid him a little bit more a little bit more information so now if we go down and look i like this verse he says in verse 7 go tell his disciples and Peter i want to make sure Peter knew about this Uh, He's going before you into Galilee, just as He said to you. So He's been telling them, and and each writer of the Gospel is telling us that they knew, uh, that they had been told that He was going to do this. Um, Now look at verse 8. This is, again, this is an expansion on, on 28.17 in Matthew. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling, and astonishment gripped them, and they said... Nothing to anyone, so they were afraid. Verse 10, She went out, Mary Magdalene went out and reported to those who had been with him that they were mourning and weeping. In verse 11, And when they heard he was alive, they had been seen by her. They refused to believe it. Okay? This is is a choice that they made. I'm not going to believe it. Okay? So, I think we're seeing a framework here of some of the issues that the resurrection raises for Jesus, for us. Uh, Then you go on down to verse 13, and it says, They went away and reported to others, but they did not believe them either. Uh, We're going to go in a little bit into the walk to Emmaus. But the interesting thing in Mark is, when Jesus sees these guys again, you would think, He might, you know, the last words he's going to say to him, you might think he's going to go, Hey, guys, you guys are doing a really good job here. I want you to go with me. Look what he says in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who said he had seen him after he had been raised. Hmm. So... Jesus isn't happy with this. But again, people are upset and they don't believe what they're hearing. Now, why don't they believe it? Well, let's go on and look in Luke chapter twenty-four. Luke twenty-four is interesting because it's the walk to Emmaus and, and um the the road to Emmaus. Um, starting in verse 1 in chapter 24 of Luke on the first day of the week at early dawn they came to the tomb we're back at the tomb again and um, chapter, or chapter 24 verse 5 is one of my favorite King James verses that I remember it says why seek ye the living among the dead I, I just love that um, why do you seek the living one among the dead that's what he said he is not here, but He is risen. Remember how He spoke to you while He was still in Galilee. So they keep the angels keep referring back in each of these stories. And and if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you, you look at their resurrection story, you think, think of a mountain that, that you've got a mountain, and you've got each one of these guys. Uh, Matthew goes up the west slope, Luke goes up the south slope, Mark goes up the east slope, and, and John goes up the north slope. It's the same mountain. They're just going up. they got different views as they're going up. They're just seeing different things about the same story. It happens all the time. Uh, um, my wife can watch a 30-minute TV show and take an hour and a half to explain it. and I've never understood that, but, but she gets details and, I, and nuances out of things. I don't. She said, you'd ask me about the story, and I'd say, well, the guy came in, he got shot, the sheriff took the girl, and they left town. Bang. Five minutes, I can explain the whole thing. But I'm more like Mark, and she's more like Luke. She'll expand on everything. So anyway, if we go back to Emmaus, and and if we look in verse 11, and these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe him. So when they came, now this is the the New American Standard, 77 version. They said the words that Jesus has been raised from the dead appears to them as nonsense, and they would not believe him. They've made a choice not to believe them. Okay? Now, as they're going on down, um, let me see the one I'm looking for here. Verse 36 in in Luke 24. They were telling these things, and all of a sudden he stood in their midst, and they were startled, frightened, and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Now, this whole thing with Jesus and the resurrection, now the resurrection, we're going to look at a lot of other different things about the resurrection, but this particular issue with the resurrection is causing a lot of problems among people because they're doubting it. And 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 it's just difficult for us to get our arms around it because the guy's standing right in front of them and they're doubting it. What are they doubting? This is it goes back to my question before. I think there's a nuance in here that we're missing and I want to understand what it is because I, I like I said, I can see Emily, I can see Rick, I can see John all sitting here. So I can't doubt that they're here, but if I do doubt that they're here, what am I doubting, okay? Now, we go on down, and um, verse 39 in in Luke 24, See my hands and feet, see it's myself. See me and see a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you've seen me. And they gave him fish, and he ate it. And then verse 45, He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer again, and from the dead rise the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness and so forth. And um, we get a key thing here. We get a key thing here. He has to open our minds. Verse 20, 45, He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. The guys that were on the road to, uh, to Emmaus, Um, He shut their minds so they couldn't see who he was. And then when he opens their mind, it's all of a sudden it's like, wow, I could have had a V8. You know, this is is a great um, revelation to them. Now, let's go over to John chapter 20. You know what a V8 is, don't you? V8, that's an old commercial from way back. A guy was drinking tomato juice and orange juice, and somebody handed him a V8, and he goes, wow, I could have had a V8. I guess that's a commercial that... You, did you know about that? I know somebody watching this will know what I meant. I'm. You've never heard that, okay. That's a just... Huh? You did? All right. The young one gets it. That's That's excellent. I could have had a V8. Um, Back to the story here. In in John chapter 20, we get a little bit different view. Again, as we say, John's going up the north slope. Um, She came and told Peter and John, and they ran to the thing. John's a little faster. He gets there, but he won't go in. Peter blows past John and heads right into the tomb. And in the middle of the tomb, uh, Peter therefore went forth the other disciples... And the two were running together, verse 4, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first, stooping down and looking in, he saw the, the linen wrappings there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter, therefore, came following him and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head. Now, verse 9 Actually, verse 8, So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. So John, who is the disciple that Jesus loved, that's how he describes himself, he goes in and sees, and he believes. Well, what is he believing? Okay, Verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So it says he believed. What did he believe? He believed that Jesus wasn't there. That's that easily understood, but it's clear from the scriptures he did not get the whole message of the of the of the resurrection. So the disciples went away and they went to their own homes. Now, uh, let's see. I want to go yeah, verse twenty four. Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the hands in the imprint of the nails and my finger placed into the place of the nails and my hand into his side, I'll not believe. So he's making a great statement of, of, of um, unbelief here. So I'm not going to believe anything until I see it. And after eight days, so he's got eight days he's stewing on this, Jesus shows up and Thomas is there, and then he said to Thomas, "Reach your finger and see my hands, reach your hand and put it into my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. So we've got a whole we've, we've got a situation with the resurrection. This is forcing these guys to see things they've not seen before. Uh, and I, I go back and, I, and I, I look as we start digging into more uh, more of the different things about this. I asked the question exactly what it is that the resurrection is going to do. Um, we've heard everything. We take all the doctrine and everything out. What does the resurrection actually do? And let's look at a couple of things here. Dr. Norman Geisler put a nice summary in the back of one of my books, and I thought we could go through that. And, and you, I, I think it, he summarizes very well what the... Impact of the resurrection is Uh, the Apostle Paul, he says, delivers seven disastrous consequences of denying Jesus' resurrection in one passage. If Jesus didn't rise, then this our preaching is without a foundation, our faith is in vain, the apostles are false witnesses, our faith is worthless, we are still in our sins dead believers have perished we should be pitied more than anyone else and this is in 1 Corinthians 15 Jesus was a deceiver because he said he rose bodily and the devil won by and the devil won by bringing death that God could not reverse and we see that in Hebrews chapter 2 there's no salvation apart from Christ's resurrection and as Paul said if Christ isn't raised Your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. So, clearly, the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead is significant because if it isn't true, none of it's true. I remember, um, I think the first, even though I see it in in here, the first writer that was not in the Bible that I read this was uh, C.S. Lewis. And um, he says, this is... Jesus was either God or he wasn't. There's no other options because of all the things that he said. He can't be a good moral teacher and, and do, say the things that he said because he'd be a liar. And there's no option other than he is God or he isn't God. And if he's God and he says he's going to rise from the dead, he rises from the dead. There was a song many, many years ago um, by Don Francisco called He's Alive. And I'll never forget the first time we heard it. It was like it's the song about Jesus, uh, not Jesus, Peter going into the tomb and seeing Jesus, and all of a sudden the realization that he's alive hits him. And that song is uh, that song's a powerful song. He's alive. My sins have been forgiven, and uh, uh, he tells the story of that. So we're confronted with a very interesting point a, a good friend of mine just passed away um, a couple of weeks ago and um, he's uh, he's born again man man a true God love he loved God he was a God lover no doubt about it and, I, and I, when he died we were praying and believing God to over, override COVID and uh, medical issues that, that were involved with that and he died, and so I, I, I went to the Lord and said, I'm not upset, I'm not mad at God because he died, I just wanted to know, what can we do to have more impact on people in prayer before they get to that point? And as I was talking to the Lord, th- this part of the resurrection came up, and um, if you believe this is true, if you believe everything that the scriptures say is true, we'll see, I'll see Steve again. And I'm firmly convinced that I will. I'm firmly convinced of that. And it's interesting, if we go to Romans, um, this is how significant this is. And and most of the time, it seems like people miss this. Um, Romans 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that raised him from the that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. It doesn't say say the sinner's prayer. It doesn't say do the Roman road. It doesn't say any of that. It says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe God raised him from the dead you shall be saved. I'm in that group. Uh, I believe that God raised him from the dead and I'm saved. So. The resurrection is very important. Now, we can go through, and we can find a lot of other scriptures that support how many people have been raised from the dead. Well, we can go back into 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and you can see that Elisha did it, and Elijah did it. Um, Elijah raised the widow of Zarephath's son, and Elisha raised the Shunammite's woman, her son. In each of those situations, though, it's kind of interesting. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures is Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. And if I go back and I look at each of those instances, um, God did something really great for these women, and then the Satan comes along, kills their kid, and both Elijah and Elisha are trying to figure out what happened. Said, you know, what, what went wrong here? God never answered him, he, he just raised the child up. Um, if we go to Mark chapter 5, verse 42, you'll find that Jairus' daughter was raised. The most interesting thing about Jairus' daughter being raised, um, and if you read that story in the Amplified Version, you'll find out that when the Lord was walking with Jairus, Jairus came and said, if you lay hands on my daughter, she'll get well. And never said another word. Jesus said, Okay, I'll go. And so on the way there, the little woman with the issue of blood comes along, and they get that settled. Just as that gets settled, um, what I heard one uh, speaker describe as the death messenger came, and, and this guy came up to Jairus and says, Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Um, that to me is one of the most that that is one of the most striking things because c- in the amplified version, Jesus turns and says, "Don't be seized with fear and alarm, only believe." He says, "You just wield." Don't be seized with alarm and fear. Now, at that point, maybe we're looking at, at at some of the same things that the disciples were dealing with. Only Jairus kept his mouth shut and hung on to what he believed he didn't say another word that's the only words we ever hear from Jairus is if you lay your hands on my daughter she'll live sure enough uh, one of the things that I find out that's interesting about this particular resurrection is Jesus told the story of the parable of the sower. there's four types of soil uh, there's rocky soil there's soil by the path there's thorny soil and there's good soil and out of those four soils only one of them 25% of the people that hear the Word of God actually get it. Uh, cause the Satan comes and steals it, the thorns in their life choke it out. But 25% of the people that, heard, that had the good seed sowed heard it. Well, when Jesus goes in to, to raise this little girl, He only takes three disciples with Him. How many did He have? He had 12. Three disciples, that's 25%. They were the ones that got the message about the parable of the sower so jesus goes into the room and everybody he said what are you everybody getting upset about she's just asleep and everybody laughed because it says in luke they knew she was dead they knew she was dead jesus pitches them out and takes the three that he came with and mom and dad and goes in and the little girl gets raised i think there's a pattern there and 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 how we actually begin to walk in that i don't know but I'm 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 asking the Lord about that. First thing was they got rid of everybody that didn't believe that Jesus would do what He said He'd do. And you think of this, you might be wiping out 75% of the people that you know. I hate to say that, but that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And in this resurrection, it says everybody was astonished after it happened. Well, I would think so. But the key, I think, um, these guys at this time were able to believe that. But when Jesus was confronted with it, when they were confronted with Jesus, they couldn't get it. And so the mystery that is rising up here, that's one of the things I love about the parable of the sower. Jesus said, the mysteries of the kingdom of God have been given to you. The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. And people say there's, uh, that we don't know all the mysteries and things that God does. I think we'll know a lot. I think we can know a lot more than we do because we don't ask Him. But I think it's very clear that He wants us to know about the things of God, the Kingdom of God. And the resurrection, the knowledge that Jesus has done what He said He would do enables us to do what He told us we could do. If we don't get that, we're not going to be very effective in what we do for the Lord. Does that make sense? Um... Now, if we go back and look at other resurrections uh, that they were doubted, um, my question is uh, in fact let, let's go to look at 2 Timothy 2.18. 18. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 18. Men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. Misunderstanding about the resurrection causes a lot of grief. Now, I was always amazed at the guy that wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Well, and then then we wrote a sequel in 1989, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in eighty nine. And um, it amazes me that people will even consider that, trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back for the resurrection. In this case, though, as we follow along, Paul is very adamant in 1 Corinthians 15. uh, Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15.12. 1 Corinthians 15.12. Now, If Christ has preached that He's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? That's the conflict that the the disciples were dealing with. Now, go on and let's look at verse 17. And this, to me, is the key that unlocks our faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Jesus said, uh, All power has been given unto me. And all heaven and earth, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. But if he hadn't risen from the dead, none of it would have been any good. It has to be the resurrection. Has to be the anchor that that helps our boat stay steady. Because we know that that's if, since he said that and he did that. There was an old song many many years ago by the Imperials that says, "It won't be old Muhammad sitting on the throne." And it won't be um, old Buddha calling us home. And it won't be Hare Krishna we see on that day. It'll be Jesus. Because all those other guys had great ideas, but they're all dead. Muhammad, maybe he's a nice guy, maybe he wasn't, but he's dead. Buddha, he's dead. All these guys that had all these great ideas, they're not around anymore, but Jesus is. That's the key to, to, to walking in the resurrection. Um, there are so many other things about it, but I think the 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 main central truth that we've got to understand is is that the resurrection and what did it do for us when we got started. That's the key, and that's what we want to know. Um, I say, are there any questions? But then there won't be. So um, let me see. Is there anything else in here? There's 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 some theological information about it. Um, That's the other thing I found out. You can't just look up the word the resurrection because, man, you'll open a can of worms you never didn't even know was there. I mean, everybody's got some uh, take on the resurrection here. I have to study on the part about where Jesus was risen from the dead. That's the key I'm going to start on, and that's the one I'm holding on to. And um, I'm going to receive that... John will receive that, Rick will receive that as born-again people. So, um, with that ado, let's go ahead and close with prayer. Father, thank you so much for your resurrection. Thank you that Jesus did exactly what he said he'd do. And Father, when we don't believe, when we act in, in contrary to that, when we don't believe what he said, forgive us for our unbelief, Father, and help us to move forward. In Jesus' name, beleza Jesus. Jesus. for Jesus.